This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. They know you're here for good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here are the three things you need to remember and know about Iron Source. Number one, they're developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching for Iron Source Level Up. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Today, we have myself, Joe Kim, and Eric Kress, and we are joined by Alexis Bont, who is Group CEO of the Stillfront Group. Hi, Alexis. Great to have you with us. And let's get straight to the point. In very exciting games industry news, it was announced that Stillfront acquired Storm 8, adding to its collection of game studios such as KickSci and Good Game. Now, a lot of folks aren't super familiar with Stillfront, so maybe we can start there. Can you talk to us about, first of all, who is Stillfront and what is the overall strategy behind rolling up the game studios that you have? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, Eric. Hi, Joseph. Uh, very nice to, uh, to be on the podcast. It's uh, one of those that I follow uh, religiously, so very excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. Um, I mean, very quickly, I mean, Silkfront really is an um, alliance of what we call semi-autonomous studios. Uh, so right now we have uh, 13 studios, uh, including Storm 8, which are uh, part of, um, of Silkfront. And um, the logic, what we're really doing is We've, we basically see that there's a lot of advantages to uh, being together and basically having a portfolio of different studios and different games that you pull together so that we can exchange information. But at the same time, uh, we think that in, the creative, in creative industries, integrating companies uh, in the corporate sense just doesn't work because then you, call, you, you, you kill the creativity, you kill the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, you kill the ability to be, you know, quick on your feet and efficient and all that. So that's why we always try to basically keep the entrepreneurs, keep the founders uh, within the studios, have them continue to lead the studios. Uh, we just become part of the family and we basically all shareholders in the same public company, still front, that basically trades in the, uh, in the Stockholm, uh, in the Swedish stock exchange, uh, Swedish NASDAQ. Got it. And so there's a lot of sh information sharing, but are there any kind of shared services amongst any of the studios or do they pretty much operate, as you're kind of alluding to, pretty independently? Yeah, so basically we, uh, we don't believe in a big kind of big corporate central uh, uh, structure. So there's no like central marketing team with a you know, chief marketing officer that is going to tell you, well, now from now on, you know, your marketing needs to happen centrally and we're going to run that or anything like that because we don't think that works. We think that you know, um, you know, the power needs to be in the studios, and the decision making needs to be as close to the product as possible. In uh, especially for the free-to-play games, so we don't have any of that. But what we do have is we're very aware that some studios are just you know really good at certain things that some other studios might you know not be as good as they are. And so what we do is we have what we call centers of excellence. And so, for example, uh, we have Good Game Studios, which is really strong at doing, you know, user acquisition marketing. And so they've been providing services to some of the other studios, like, for example, we have a studio called uh, Babel, to basically do the user acquisition for them or to do it together with them. Uh, but it's never imposed. And 
good games is not forced to do the user acquisition for uh, for Babel, and Babel is not forced to use to use good games. It's basically an agreement between the two studios. Got it. And then, if we could talk more about the specific game studios that currently comprise Stillfront. How did you guys go about finding and evaluating those studios? And then just kind of more generally speaking, what are you looking for in terms of the studios that you acquire? Yeah, so, so basically, Stillfront has uh, a very kind of you know, clear strategy in terms of the studios that, uh, that he wants to see join the family. So uh, first of all, we look for studios that have something that we call long life cycle free-to-play games. So basically, uh, games that not games that people play for just a week or two weeks, so no, not hyper-casual, but you know, games that people will play for many, many years. That uh, traditionally, at least at the beginning, was uh, easier to find in the strategy jar, so kind of you know, online free-to-play strategy MMOs, uh, you know, games that people, you know, 4X games uh, that, you know, that build communities where people play for a very long time, and traditionally, that's what we mostly had in the first studios that, that joined uh, Stillfront. So, uh, you know, Bytro has a, has, has a few uh, 4X games. You know, Dorado has a few 4X games. My own studio that I started, Republic Labs, then joined also had 4X games. Of course, Good Game Studios, which were acquired at, four, at uh, you know, at online and mobile strategy games. So that's kind of you know, what we focused on in the beginning. And then as we became larger, um, we also basically were able to explain to our investors and to the market, because there's an educational component about being a public company, that it's not only strategy games that have long life cycles. You can also find, you know, people play for years and years, you know, casual games, such as the Stormate games, um, which, uh, which are, you know, games that, that people play for, for a long time. So that's something that we're doing. So we, what we're doing now going forward is we're also doing a genre uh, expansion uh, so that we uh, have a kind of more diversified portfolio, but always, always with the view of having uh, basically these, uh, these long life cycle uh, games. And then the second strong element is we believe that if you're in the games business and if you've been doing free to play games for many years, you should be profitable. If you know what you're doing, you should be profitable. And the kind of studios that we like and love is actually the studios that found some success initially, you know, maybe did very well, and then they did a few mistakes, like my studio, that's what happened in my studio. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of crashed, maybe even, you know, moved into unprofitable territory, realized our mistakes, you know, maybe reset, you know, hit the reset button, focus on our strength, and then now have much more stable studios and also all of the humidity that goes with you know having a major failure. <laughs> uh, it was I can assure you it was very very humbling in my personal case. Uh, and then the whole mindset changes, you know. And then you're looking all, you're looking for comfort. You're looking for someone to hold you, right? <laughs> Come to Stillfront, we'll hold you in Kumbaya, yeah. right? Well, actually, not, not exactly, because by the time we tell you come to Stillfront, you're back on track. You're doing well. You're profitable again. But you have the humility to listen and you have the humility to know <laughs> that eventually you're probably going to screw it up again. So if you have other people, other like-minded people, other entrepreneurs that you can talk to that have been through the same adventures, the likelihood of you making the same mistakes is lower and the chances of you correcting mistakes, because of course we still do lots of mistakes, faster is higher. 
And uh, so what we've seen is as a result, if you look at all the studios that join Skillfront, usually the organic growth of the studios accelerates after joining. And thus, just because, you know, we just have access to more information, you know, I, if I go to, uh, before I was part of Skillfront, if I go to uh, you know, one of the events and I meet my friends, you know, at, at Supercell, at King and uh, other studios, and I tell them about my latest game and my metrics and all that, of course they're gonna share, they're my friends, but how much can I trust the KPIs and the data they're telling me? Whereas in this case, we're all part of the same family and I can actually go into the KPIs and check it for myself. But it's, it's a bit different. So, so who's out there boiling the ocean for you? Like who's looking at all these opportunities for acquisition? Is it, you know, are you out there like talking to a bunch of people or is it uh, this woman, Marina? Anderson? Yeah, so we've got Marina, who's our head of M&A, and you know, she's got 20 years experience in, uh, in doing M&A, and obviously we were, you know, we're in touch with all of the, uh, all of the boutique investment banks that, uh, that specialize in, uh, in games, so we, uh, we work with them as well, and you know, I've been doing, you know, I started Republic Labs back in 2007, so I've been in the industry for quite a while now, and so I know quite a lot of people, and, uh, and then think about it, we've got another 12 entrepreneurs and studio heads who are all shareholders who all have their own contacts. And so we have this huge network, this huge net. And in multiple locations, you know, we've got people in Canada, now we're going to in San Francisco, uh, in Germany, in France, in Jordan, everywhere. Yeah. Were you guys looking at some of the bigger ones that were happening? Like Fox Next and Graham and Small Giant, those kind of bigger deals that got done? I can't comment, comment on specific ones, but what I, what I can tell you is uh, we have a very, very active pipeline. We've looked at uh, more than 1,500 studios. Jeez Louise. And at any given, we've only acquired 13, so it's a pretty high selection process. And at any given time, you know, we do have quite a few studios on the pipeline. And as we grow bigger, obviously, we get the ability to look at larger targets. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, you need to think that if you look at just where we were this summer, the market cap of the company was $600 million. Uh, now it's about $1.1, $1.2 billion uh, six months afterwards. Obviously, as we grow, as we become bigger, as our turnover grows, as our profits grow, we, we get access to having, you know, larger members joining the family. So you must have a lot of lists, a lot of lists of companies then that you're looking at, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we look, but you know how it is, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a big industry in numbers, but it's not so big in terms of people, if you think about it. And yeah. especially in terms of people who have been able to build, you know, profitable, stable companies. It's not such a uh, big thing. Yeah, gotcha. Alexis, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role as chief operating officer at Philfront Group level? What does that mean and what, what are your responsibilities? Yeah, sure. So, so basically, my background obviously is I was um, I was I was heading I was a uh, heading the Republic Labs, which I sold to Steelfront about um, three years ago. At the time, you know, I was the fifth studio to join Steelfront. I think the combined market cap was probably 120 million dollars, so it was a much smaller organization. And in the past three years, quite frankly, the first thing is. When I met, you know, Jorgen, who's, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Steelfront, and he told me, you know, this, this, this idea of doing this, this kind of roll-up and family of studios and, you know, keeping those studios independent and all that, I was like, okay, let's see if it's actually true. <laughs> so that was kind of the first thing. And, um, and I realized that's the case. 
And as basically we've been growing and growing and growing the group through more and more acquisitions, it just became unviable for basically all of the studios and all of the studio has to report to, uh, to Jorgen and, and, and on top of that for Jorgen to do you know, the M&A and all that. When I joined, just so you know, when eRepublic joined Stillfront, the total team at, at the Stillfront headquarters was two people, the CEO and the CFO. Uh, I actually remember going going to see and meeting them, and and you know they had this beautiful office, but then they only had a room. I was like, "This is really your office?" <laughs> now, we've, now we've tremendously grown to fourteen people out of seven hundred fifty people at headquarters. Uh, but basically, so my role is pretty simple: is um, I basically um, provide support and governance to uh, to a large part of the studios that are part of Stillfront. So I can basically lighten the load there for Jorgen, our CEO. And then I'm also quite active in the initial parts of M&A because, you know, being a studio founder, uh, I have a lot of friends in the industry and a lot of people I've known for a long time. So I usually work very closely with Marina in the early M&A processes. And then the final part is the thing that you touch on, on is basically I try to basically help with studio synergies uh, or collaborations is basically it's really connecting the dots, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I speak regularly with all of the studio heads and some of their teams and I, they tell me about the problems they're facing and I tell them, hey, maybe you should talk with that other studio because they came across the same problems as the solution they had. And, then some, and also then from these things, sometimes what we were we calling centers of excellence emerge. So, you know, one studio is really good, for example, at doing, uh, you know, 3D, 3D videos for advertising. It's just very efficient at producing them. They do them very quickly. Another studio, as you know, there's a big fight in terms of UA, in terms of you know, being able to have a lot of creatives uh, on a very regular basis. They were uh, not able to do it and recruit enough talent where they were. So that was an obvious kind of you know, possibility to simply build a center of excellence there. So it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun, a lot of connecting the dots. I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, how is that, how is really Stillfront conceived is kind of the question I want to ask. It looks like to some degree, it's a lot of kind of investment types that are created a holding company. It was the goal always to basically create a team to consolidate in the gaming space specifically, or was it more of a, uh, you know, more of a broader, you know, look at opportunities for consolidation? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure I would, consider myself an investment type since when I was 16 years old, I was writing down. No, writing no, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I, I know, I know you were hired <laughs> specifically for the gaming stuff, but Jorgen, Marina, the CFO, the PR person, like they're, they're they don't so, seem to be having the background of uh, gaming. So that's the reason, that's the reason it works. There's a balance between what you're calling kind of the entrepreneur with a more like financial background, because you know, when you're running a public company, you know, you need to you need to know you know how to talk to you know public company investors. You need to know how to do things like structure a bond for an acquisition. You know, uh, you know how do you uh, how you do how you do loans? How do you issue uh, shares and all that? It's 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 really something that you need to have experience in. So it's really a mix between you know the kind of as you're saying you know people with a more financial background, which would be as you're saying you know. Although Jorgen has been a games entrepreneur before, he sold the company to EA about, uh, a few years ago. And then basically the game founders, which, you know, uh, but if I had to define Stillfront, I would say it's actually probably 70, 80% game founders and 20, 30% investment types. So that would be the balance. 
Got it. And, and, and again, the goal was to create a consolidator in the gaming space. Like that was. Yeah, the opportunity from the beginning was to do it in the game space uh, because the, 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 the I mean, Jorgen spotted that a nobody was doing it in a kind of you know systematic way, and he spotted that. Um, and then I have many friends who have IPO too soon because what we've spotted is you know when you have a games company, you know if you have two or three games, you're always going to with a rough match, no matter how well you're doing. I mean, if Supercell was a public company right now. Supercell is a great company. It's an amazing company. Nothing has changed. You know, they will do another amazing game, but right now they will be, they will be punished. I, I, of- I've made this point many times in the podcast, much to the chagrin of everybody in Europe, it seems. But uh, yes, yeah, Supercell was really struggling, even though they're not, right? <laughs> so it's like- I mean, it's a great company, but <laughs> if it was public right now, they would be, you know, they would be under, under a, lot of, a lot of trouble. Yeah. So yeah. The, the approach of, you know, of, of thinking, you know, instead of just having one studio with three or four games, or even you know, in many cases, one studio with one game or two games that goes public, if you have 13, 14, maybe tomorrow 20 studios, which each have you know, you know, two or three, four games. So right now, you know, 13 studios with something like you know, 35 large games and a lot more smaller games. You have something that's a lot more stable, a lot more predictable. And one, one of your... And, and you know, one, uh, when one of your studios is in kind of like a in-between two games modes, the likelihood of all 13 studios being at the same time in that situation is quite low. So you have a much more stable returns. And you have something that for the first time investors understand because you guys know, you know games that have been having a super bad rap uh, from investors. And I've got a VC investment background as well. VCs, you know, don't understand games for most of them and public investors haven't understood games. Well, uh, yeah, well. I mean, they're just gun shy of hit driven businesses, right? Where, where there's too many peaks and valleys, there's no sustainability and, and consistency. Got it. Well, moving to Storm 8 quickly. So Storm 8 has been an asset that's been around forever. I mean, they were absolutely beloved in the initial like move to mobile in particular, but they've kind of fell, fallen off over the last you know, few years as we made commented in our podcast. It fits the profile that you described almost perfectly, right? Where they were like beloved, then they fell off a bit, but you know, likely are. And I, as far as I understand it, they are very profitable. And certainly from your your consolidated PL, it looks like they were super profitable. But was Storm Eight was the attractiveness of Storm Eight the big games that have come out recently? As I kind of said in the podcast, like home design and property design, or is it the collection of all the smaller games that is interesting from a I don't know from a distribution perspective? Clearly, from a from a strategic perspective, what what is interesting for us is um, is home design makeover and uh, property brothers. I mean, this is clearly uh, you know we, we see we see the long tail games as having value, obviously you know distribution value and their re- they've got revenue and they're profitable, but you know we expect those to decline over time. Uh, we think home design makeover property brothers still have um, you know have, have great potential, um, but really what was key for us other than that is exactly what you described, a team that you know, has, has, has gone really high, made a few mistakes, you learn from those mistakes, and comes back much you know, stronger again, because they're actually doing extremely well now with Property Brothers and Home Design Makeover. I mean, first of all, with Home Design Makeover. And then it's also you know, the methodology of how they got to, you know, to produce a game like Home Design Makeover, how, they, how they're doing this, the quality of the team they have and all that. That's really the key things because 
No, we all know this. You know, uh, a game company, it, it's about how strong the team is. If, if the team isn't strong and doesn't stick together, then you've got nothing. Right. And, and you've mentioned this earlier and, and something that I've always said on this podcast and just in general is that you, you are truly focused on the city-state model, right? You're, you're basically going to allow them to do their own thing as an independent entity and, and, and choose not to go to more of a centralized management structure, right? So, so you're going to keep their independence, I imagine, because you... Yeah. I mean, that's key to our DNA. I mean, our DNA is a completely decentralized DNA. Um, and um, an entrepreneurship DNA. I mean, one of the key reasons, you know, I'm in the role I am is because I know exactly what a studio head or a studio founder wants to hear and what he doesn't want to hear uh, and how to protect that sort of, that sort of uh, autonomy and independence. Obviously, because we're a public company, there's a governance obligation. Uh, so it's not just, you know, supporting and you do whatever you want for obvious reasons. But I can tell you it feels more independent than when I had VCs on my cap table. And the costs, do you guys have a lot of studios in the Bay Area at all? I, I, I didn't. So in the Bay Area, we only Kick-Sai. have uh, mates, and actually Kicksai, uh, the team is mostly in Victoria, Canada. Okay, got you. So the costs associated with running a studio in, in uh, San Mateo or wherever they are in the Bay Area didn't scare you off? Well, you know, it's, uh, first of all, what you need to understand is Stormate is a very, very efficient organization. They have a very small team. I think they're about 68 to 70 people working there and at the end of the day we all know what it is you know this is games is a tough market where it's about how good your team is so if you have the right 68 people the cost doesn't really matter if you've got the wrong ones then no 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 country uh, no lower weight country is going to save you yeah and what are the roles of the founders are they uh, going to stick around or are all of them sticking around or only a few of them or can you even comment on that the founders they're, are uh, they're, no no they're i mean it's 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 they're all sticking around Awesome. That's that's kind of the, the uh, that's kind of the goal and the objective. Again, really, what we're doing is, uh, you know, they're going to be joint shareholders in in Stillfront. I'm a I'm a shareholder in Stillfront. You know, most of all of the other studio heads are shareholders in Stillfront. This is something that we're building together. We're just getting you know better and smarter people to join us. After the break, the story behind the acquisition, the due diligence process, the thinking behind the deal structure, and the future of Stillfront. That's coming up. Great. Alexa, I thought we could now shift over to talking about the deal itself. And I thought we could start by having you walk us through the story behind the acquisition. Like, how did you guys get introduced? Was this like a process or did you reach out to them? or Did they reach out to you? Or how, how did that actually happen? Yeah, I mean, without going into too much details for obvious reasons, I think there was a, there was a first meeting at you know, one of the conferences, as it usually happens, about um, a year before the transaction closed. Uh, at the time, quite honestly, Stormate was a little too big for us. So we stayed in touch, but we didn't really uh, move. We made a slightly smaller acquisition instead, which was Kickside, which we made in the, in the summer of, of last year. And then basically, as we, that, that acquisition allows us, allowed us to scale again and allowed us to basically reconnect uh, with the guys at Stormate. And then, you know, it's, it's really fast because it's such a KPI-driven industry and we've got you know, so much data and all that. And we've been doing this for a long time that it was just, you know, I'd say 95% of the interactions are there are done over video conferences and email. And obviously then, you know, you do a site visit, they came to see us, we came to see them. Uh, but it was just really, really quick. 
and we uh, and there was a there was an investment banking uh, advising them. Yes, got it. And then for our audience who may not be aware of what the due diligence process looks like for you guys, and I'm sure it's it's a little bit different for every acquirer, but what did that look like in this case? Like how long did it take? What were some of the key things that you guys wanted to sort of kick the tires on before pulling the trigger? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's not very different uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, time it takes and documentation and all that. It's not very different from, you know, raising funds from a VC if um, any, any of them have already done it, you know. So you need to have a data room where basically you keep all of your information uh, and all that. Uh, then, we you know, we send you, we send you a, a list of questions and then there's, there's three, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's obviously a, a basic a tech due diligence. There's a you know game and KPIs and team due diligence, which usually I'm quite involved in. And you know the boring part is the legal due diligence. My recommendation is you uh, is you get a good lawyer that uh, and that you set a fixed fee, uh, so you make sure you make sure they don't invent problems to uh, try and get the price to try and yeah. get the. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, fixed fee for a lawyer. Good luck. <laughs> usually, my my strong recommendation of this one is. You have to let the lawyers argue a little bit, and then when really you feel like they're pushing it a little bit too much, you say, "Hey, Alexis, can I just call you?" And then you and then or and then you call me, and we say, and we say, "Yeah, yeah, we'll just settle." <laughs> so, oh, sidebar, sidebar. <laughs> Let's do a sidebar. <laughs> but no, I mean, from the moment the way it works is, you know, usually is then you know the, the first step is you know once you kind of agree more or less that we're going to move forward, uh, the, you, you get a LOI, a letter of intent. That is yeah. non-binding. Uh, normally, when we send you an LOI, uh, we ask for a period of exclusivity because that's when we, we're going to get into, you know, actually investing a lot of resources and money to start to do the due diligence. And from that LOI, you know, within, uh, you know, within about two months, you know, you should have a sales and purchase agreement. And then between the sales and purchase agreement and the actual close, because we're a public company, there's a lot of things we need to get together. Now, you know, uh, it, will, it might take between a month and two months maximum. So the whole process, let's say, from the moment you've pretty much decided that we should do this together to actually, you know, you being part of the family is between four and six months. Okay, great. And it was kind of surprising to me because in contrast to a lot of deals that we hear about in the industry, there seemed to be a surprising amount of transparency behind the deal and the deal structure. And so could you actually walk us through how you thought about this? And so for our audience, it'd be great if you could just kind of walk us through the thinking in terms of how you guys came up with the structure around, you know, cash yeah. versus equity, earnout, some of the structural design. But yeah, please, please walk us through that. That'd be fantastic to hear. Yeah, no, of course. I think, I think and just to start on the transparency side, so... We're a Swedish company, so one of the core values of Swedish companies, other than humility, and you know, uh, you know, Sweden is you know almost I think for American standards is almost a communist country or at least a socialist country. You know, everybody's equal, very a lot of humility, and a lot of transparency, which by the way works very well when you're doing an alliance of uh, of autonomous studios. Uh, you know, there's no superstar CEO or COO and all that. You know, it's all a lot about you know dialogue and discussion. Uh, and, you know, so being a public company in Sweden, we ha actually have to be transparent. Uh, so that's why you get so many details about what the deal is like. And then in terms of the thinking, and, and like if, if you put yourself into the studio, and I can take you through my own deal and how it works. So, you know, I had a nice business that I've been building for 10 years that was profitable, that was growing, that was doing well. 
But I knew it was not going to be the next supercell by itself. You know, we'd been trying for 10 years and we just didn't have the DNA to do that. Uh, we were not able to, to attract the type of top talent that would take us to the next level. So I needed to find a solution, right? But at the same time, I've got a profitable company that's growing. And of course, like every game maker, I'm absolutely confident that my next game is going to be the one that just, you know, takes us to the next level, to the stratosphere, and look at those KPIs, aren't they beautiful? Forget it's the golden cord. <laughs> so whenever you go and, 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 and see in our studio, they, you know, they all kind of tell you, well, this is how much I'm worth now, I understand that, but look at what's coming up, you know? We're gonna be right. worth a lot more, so you should, you should pay that, right? And so what we do is we say, listen, what we'll do is we'll give a very fair value on what you're worth today. So we'll give you a multiple of EBITDA or whatever on what you're worth today, okay? And then we'll give you a very transparent burnout that's not based on bizarre targets that we can manipulate. It's basically based on the EBIT you deliver so that you can capture the upside of basically this incredible game that, you, that is gonna change the world that you're launching tomorrow. So that's kind of how we structure it, so that so that uh, we're not limiting uh, people's upside. Because quite honestly, if that game actually performs as well as you expect it to perform, we're all we all gain. We're all happy. So that's kind of how we 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 structure the deals uh, usually, and we always try whenever possible to make it part in, part cash, part shares. And the reason it's very important for us to have shares is, you know, one of your questions I, I think was from Eric was are the founders sticking around? Are they staying around? And one of the key ways of the founders staying around is them knowing, not just feeling, knowing that they're still owners. This is still their business. They just have a smaller share of a much bigger pie. For me, uh, you know, I've actually considered joining groups to do exactly what you were doing over the years. And because uh, I do think that there's a huge <clears throat> opportunity out there. I think it is a struggle and a challenge to find the right studios, as you kind of alluded yeah. to, uh, that fit this profile. So I guess my I, the general question I have for you is like, are you guys looking, I mean, I know you guys have some PC stuff, and, and, but, but it seems primarily your strategy is mobile. Are you guys looking to go out outside of mobile and go after some Fortnite money, you know, and start looking at AAA <laughs> development for PC and console? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say, although we, we do have one studio uh, that's doing premium games, um, you know, the um, Coldwood, you know, they provide, you know, they've done Unravel, Unravel 2, which is, you know, our, 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 our premium games. Our main focus is free-to-play. Okay. I mean, that's where we believe that there is the biggest opportunity. We do focus primarily on uh, mobile because we think that's the biggest market and where the, there's the most growth. But we have a significant business that is a uh, browser. Yeah. And we do have a growing business that's PC on Steam. And we do think that free-to-play going forward is becoming more and more platform agnostic. So we're open to all those opportunities. But let's say that I, I would say the, the, the real focus is free-to-play, long life cycle, life cycle games. Got it. And, and you, as, as the master of all things on your studio front, and what, what are you most excited about from your SKU plan perspective? Like things that have been announced that are coming out in the next, you know, 12 months or something. Is there anything that you are excited about? 
Yeah, so we, 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 because we're a public company and, you know, and we, we decided not to give any guidance, uh, so we, uh, we say that we're excited about all the potential future releases and all the potential future acquisitions. <laughs> Here, I, I'm going to go into corporate. <laughs> You're going to corporate speak. Let's, yeah, let's skate around and the also, question. I don't, I don't want to get upset with any of the studio heads. You love all your children equally. Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. exactly. Come on. And then the numbers did the talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, we'll move on. <laughs> so anyway, so so uh, I think you guys, you pretty much answered this, and, I, and it, it actually was something that I was, uh, it seemed from what acquisitions you've done in the past is that you were focused on core and you're kind of going a little bit more casual now. And obviously, you're more about stable long-term revenue and, and, and you know, and, and dedicated user base. But again, like in terms of a mix between core and and more mass market casual is there i don't know some kind of like thought process around that like is it something yeah. that you would go after a puzzle game or, or would you stick with four go after a 4x game I mean, like what how your thinking is around that type of thing and i i really do love your commentary on hyper casual by the way so i i totally <laughs> agree with you on that one <laughs> yeah i mean basically what we do there is Although hyper casual, just to go back on that, they are doing interesting things in terms of UA. So it's interesting when those studios who are doing UA at such a crazy rate and way with their hyper casual games, when they start moving towards casual and slightly more long life cycle games, if they're able to do good enough casual games and implement their kind of their UA expertise to that, they might be some damage potentially. We'll see. But anyway, going back to your question. It's very simple. Now, we kind of look at it from a holistic point of view in terms of the market. Uh, you know, we look at how big is the market, you know, for um, puzzle within casual. You know, how big is the game, is the market for RPGs? Is it growing? Is it not growing? Is there a strong player in there and all that? And really, our idea is, you know, we were overweight in terms of strategy for X games in our portfolio. And uh, this is something that we've uh, started correcting uh, uh, with Stormate. And our idea is to basically continue to do that and basically slowly but surely enter into all of the categories uh, whenever there's a good um, potential family member to basically go in there. Because the one thing I don't believe in, and I'm sure you know this and you'll agree with this, is a strategy studio, uh, you know, tomorrow, you know, deciding that they're going to do, you know, puzzle games or... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. No. It just doesn't work. Everybody yeah, you can, fail. yeah, you could talk to everyone at King right now. You know, I mean, how many games have they made outside of puzzle that were successful? Zero. Okay. What is the end game for the group? Like, I know the investment banking types are more about build, 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 than sell, right? Um, I mean, are you guys just trying to keep building and building and building and become the behemoth? Or is it ultimately you're going to sell out to... Tencent or some other Chinese company that wants to get into mobile in the West? Well, you know, we're not trying to sell. We're public already. So it's kind of like we're a public company, you know? So, yeah, but that's, uh, th that's double dipping. You go public and make all that cash <laughs> and then you get sold out and you make all that cash. That's like the, that's like now, the ultimate goal. What, what we've seen, at least the goal for the next, you know, I'd say for the next five years is uh, we, we, we've actually announced, we've gone to the market and say that, you know, we think we can triple this business over the next five years. Uh, I think that can be achieved through a mix of, you know, nice, solid, organic performance and the right 
acquisitions, the right family members joining us. And uh, quite honestly, you know, that's what we're focusing on and that's what we want to do. It's a lot of fun to do uh, because, you know, you get to work with great people, meet great people that, you know, you know, game companies, uh, games that you love and, you know, they join the family, you get to know those games better, you, know, you get to know those teams better. So for someone who's in the games industry, it's just a dream come true. So I just want to continue with the dream and make it last and grow as much as I can. Very nice. Great. And on that note, I think those are all the questions we have, but I want to thank you so much for your time, Alexis. And do you have any message for our audience? Any, or maybe you can talk to us about any specific type of company that you're looking for to join your family? I mean, nothing specific other than, you know, we are, uh, I think we're so fortunate. We're so lucky to be in this industry. You know, it's, uh, it's an industry that, uh, if you think about it, has become huge, but is, as I was saying before, it's quite, still quite small in terms of people actually understand it and get it. And, um, and I just think it's an incredible industry to be participating in and, and working in work with some really you know, nice people in it. And um, I just love working in it. And um, my only message is I know that it's hard right now for certain people to... Uh, start studios from scratch. Uh, it's probably harder than before in certain <laughs> respects, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's still doable. It's still doable. And, and if you're in that situation where, you know, you actually have a strong studio that's profitable, uh, doing well, but you feel like you're missing something and that you could go to the next level, come and talk to me. <laughs> Sounds good. And if anyone does want to contact you, is, is there a good way to do that? Or can you mention any conference that you're going to be attending in the near term? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll be coming to GDC San Francisco and uh, I'm very easy to reach. It's alexis at stillfront.com. So that's A-L-E-X-I-S at stillfront.com. That's easy to remember. Awesome. Again, thank you very much. And Thanks it's so great Alex. to learn more about Stillfront. A lot of us weren't so familiar with you, but now, now we know a lot more. So thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye.